Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under networks. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. All right, Pelicans fans, welcome to a very special edition of The Bird Calls, Anthony Davis Trade Edition. I am David Grubb, filling in again for Preston Ellis, and uh, once again, I'm joined by David Fisher, Kevin Barrios, and our editor-in-chief at TheBirdRights.com, Mr. Ali Costell. Obviously, a huge day in the history of the New Orleans Pelicans franchise, maybe the second biggest in franchise history. I guess after AD re- re- uh, <laughs> requesting his trade in the first place, which set all of this in motion, um, Anthony Davis has been traded to the Los Angeles Lakers for Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, uh, this year's number four pick, and two number ones in the future that are very flexible, and we'll get into the details of that in just a moment. But first, let's go around the group and get our initial reactions to the trade. Kevin, we'll start with you. Um, who won this deal, if there is a winner? And um, what do you think of what the Pelicans got in return for Anthony Davis? Well, I don't. I think it's way too early to necessarily declare a winner. Um, I mean, I don't really like grading things like that, especially when you have such draft capital involved in a trade that it's like kind of hard because you don't know what those picks are going to turn into. And we don't know what the full vision of this trade is yet you know possibly you know some of the players we got are on the move some of the picks might be packaged to get other pieces so i don't i'm gonna pass on grading it i'm sorry my cop out on that um i i think uh i mean i think both teams got what they wanted i think the lakers were very um you know very desperate to make this move as we've talked about many times and as you know guys like zach lowe and Brian Windhorst and other people have said, like, if they don't get AD, they're going to strike out in free agency because they need him to at least have one star next to LeBron because nobody wants to go there. And by having him, they might be able to lure the third star and and compete. So they got what they wanted. It cost a whole lot um, to get it. And I think, you know, when this trade this basic trade was proposed at the deadline. We were very much against making that trade for a multitude of reasons. Some of it was just pettiness and anger, but also because we weren't really happy with that. And also because we wanted to see what else was out there. This allowed us to see what else was out there. It also transpired then making it, it cleared a path for us to now have the first and the fourth pick, which would have not happened in that universe had we made that trade for the, you know, whatever everybody says is the same things. Um, I'm not really saying anything new here. We all know this. Um, and I think when we talked about the Lakers trade in the pod a few weeks ago, whenever we did that one, it's, I think it's been a few weeks now, um, we all sort of agreed that this package jumped up 
quite considerably once this fourth pick was acquired because of what you could get, who you could pick with it, but also what you could turn it into. And we've heard them turn it, in, you know, rumors that they may try to turn it into like a Bradley Beal or some other player, um, unnamed player yet. Beal gets thrown out there a lot. Um, you know, so I think when you look at just the players and the picks involved, you got to be happy with what, what you got. And mainly you got to be happy that this is over with, you know, we don't have to deal with that. We don't have to have this sort of cancerous situation around the locker room, the off season anymore. He's gone before Zion comes in, which is a, a big part of this. I think, you know, you get this stain in the black cloud hanging over the locker room out of there before you bring in the new face of the franchise, something that everybody's really excited about there's no bad taste in anybody's mouth anymore um nothing tainting the locker room so that's also a huge win so you know it wasn't it still will not be my top choice because there's other players that I coveted above what we got and I covet known commodities more than draft picks especially young known commodities not necessarily young vets but like young guys that I know what they're about like SGA or you know whoever uh Tatum but what we got is very good, and I trust Griffin and Langdon to turn that into things that are gonna are gonna be the right fit for what they're trying to do moving forward. So I, I'm happy with it, and I'm mostly ecstatic that it's just over with. I think that's um, my general feeling as well. Is that this had to end, and I think the timing is something that we discussed during our earlier podcasts. Um, just that we felt it was going to be either. Um, after the finals and right before the draft that something would be announced or the night of. So it fits in that timeline that we, that we talked about. And and fish, you were um, on this um, from the beginning, just uh, talking about the timing of the deal. Um, Give us your perspective particularly on the draft picks before we get into the players, but the draft picks, I think is something that folks don't really understand how important they are and how big this is in this deal the way Griffin has orchestrated the, uh, the the selection of these draft picks from the Lakers. Well, I'm I'm still reading Tim Bontemps' tweet, and I can't. Like, Billy King is running the Los Angeles Lakers. That's what's happening over there. So, <laughs> you have Mike, you, it's a Mike Dicka trade, really, is what it is, right? I mean, you have the fourth pick in 2019, which you knew that was going to be on the board, and they had lottery luck. But you look at this draft, and a lot of people feel like it might just be a three-player draft, so the fourth player, fourth pick isn't relatively um, desirable. Um, top eight protected pick in 2021. Most likely, you're looking at LeBron is at the very end of his career at that point. He's going to be mid-late 30s. In 2021, um, Anthony Davis should be in his prime. <clears throat> Hypothetically, the Lakers might be able to get a, another max player if things are orchestrated correctly. But if I'm David Griffin, I'm not going to assist the Lakers at all in orchestrating things correctly. We're not going to let you sign the pick and then include it in the trade so you can use a max slot now. No, the trade happens on June 30th as soon as the – as. Um, <clears throat> trading can be done for the new for the new year the pelicans don't have to do the lakers any favors now that doesn't necessarily mean that's what he's going to do but if i was him that's what i would be doing um so i would think that that 2021 pick is going to 
and say it's probably going to be a pick, you know, at best in the teens, but probably it's going to be either in the low to high 20s. And you don't know because the league can change a lot in the next two years. But it gets much more interesting the further out you go. So unprotected swap in 2023, which means if the Lakers pick is better than the Pelicans pick, the, the Pelicans get it. Um, this is what happened. This is actually how um, Boston really made a killing on that Brooklyn trade. 2023, LeBron is going to have just finished his age 38. 38 years old. That's also beyond his current contract. Then 2024, the Pelicans have the Lakers first round pick unprotected. So they get it in addition to their first round pick. And that will be that that you know right now at least the Pelicans will have two first round picks in the first year after Zion has begun his second contract, mm-hmm. his rookie extension. Mm-hmm. So you're already loading in depth at that point. And then there's an unprotected swap the following year in 2025. That would be LeBron's hypothetical age 40 season if he's still playing at that point. We're talking six years down the line. And we've seen what uh, Anthony Davis as your prime piece gets you in the NBA. We've dealt with it for the last seven seasons. We know exactly what that is. It's not looking good. And then, I mean, you have to understand that that's going to be Anthony Davis with six more years on his body. He's going to be 32. Anthony Davis, more than a lot of other big men, is incredibly reliant on his athleticism. Big guys in their 30s, they don't really get to rely on their athleticism anymore. They have to rely on their basketball IQ and anticipating and being there, you know, because they knew what was coming. We've watched Anthony Davis for the last seven years. I haven't seen that even begin to really develop where it's like, man, he's really got it. It's just he's so athletic that he can cover for his lack of understanding of the game. So the picks are way more than any of us had anticipated. My anticipation was something that looked like the 2019, 2021, and 2023. They pushed it out another year, made it unprotected, slapped two pick swaps well beyond what you believe to be LeBron's age where he's going to have like the power to really flex on the rest of the league. So on the pick side, it's incredible because it sets up the Pelicans to have depth and to be able to take some risks in the near term, knowing that depth is coming later to kind of fill up if you swing and miss when you're trying to build um, with Zion during his rookie contract. So that's what I've got on that. Yeah, I, th- I think it, it, it's it's great in the sense that, um, you know, a lot of this has been compared to two deals. Number one, like you said, the Brooklyn and Celtics deal that, that put the Celtics in position to never, ever use their assets. Um, <laughs> and it's also been compared to the uh, Dallas Cowboys and Minnesota Vikings Herschel Walker trade, um, where everybody thought that Minnesota had won that deal by getting the better player on paper. But Dallas gave themselves, as you like to say, more swings at the plate uh, in total draft picks over the next several years so that they could miss or use those picks to gain other 
uh, known commodities. And I think that's, you know, something that you cannot put a price on in the NBA, that flexibility. And that's something that Griffin uh, made a key point when he came on board. Ali, now when we look at that and we look at in conjunction with the players, um, that match, do you think that the, the draft picks compensate for what we um, see as shortcomings in the players, injury history, shooting that you didn't really get in this deal? Uh, you, 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 how do you feel about the, the, the total uh, value of this deal? Yeah, that's a great question. And honestly, I'm not excited about the players coming in. I know that Lonzo Ball can be a piece on a very good team simply because he provides two uh, prime um, like skills attributes that you want to see out there. And that, of course, is his ability to push the pace and uh, play make for others. I mean, his passing is, honestly, I put on the level of Rajon Rondo. We saw what he was able to do for the New Orleans Pelicans in a short stay here. The other thing he does well, I think he's a great defender. And David, I know that you and I talked about this, you know, what, two months into the season when we were starting thinking about possible trades for Anthony Davis and who we would like to acquire. And obviously the Lakers came up and we both said, hey, we would love to see Lonzo. He would be that prime pick out of uh, L.A. in return for Anthony Davis. And, you know, we since then we've heard Alvin Gentry has loved on him. And um, there's been others who say that he can be a good piece. Of course, he's got to overcome his shooting and his injuries. I'm more worried about his, you know, propensity for injury. But, you know, you, we've got Aaron Nelson in the bag. He's also going to be getting a little bit older. And, you know, usually young players, when they come in late, they go through this injury nexus, right, where their bodies aren't ready for these 82 games, whatever it may be. They're not on the right nutrition, uh, diet, something like that. But I think that Lonzo's got a good chance of getting it right and being a very key component. So I'm excited about him, but everything else, not so much. But one thing I've got to say and bring up, in addition to what Fish talked about breaking down the picks, according to Tim Bontemps, uh, on what the Pelicans are getting in return, is the fact that there's a deferment, at least one out there, and Andrew Lopez just recently corroborated this on uh, Twitter, saying that there's going to be at least one. And what that means is that the Pelicans are going to have the right to where they can say, no, we don't want to use this pick. We can push it back simply because the Lakers, you know, they finish well. It's, it's a very, you know, bottom third of, of the first round pick. So we'd rather gamble in a following season. I think that's huge. I mean, on top of everything we've gotten, the ability to, to basically choose on when we want to be able to use a pick, say it's not a good one, and we can just basically then, you know, move it to the following year or whenever it could take place. I, I mean, th that's incredible. So on top of it being a Billy King type of heist uh, of, of the Nets, I mean, this is unheard of to me. I mean, how many teams have you heard use it? I know that I have read that, what, the Warriors and the Dallas Mavericks had some kind of deferment deal and some kind of trade where the Mavericks decided to use it uh, this year on a second round pick. Well, the Pelicans are going to be able to use it on a first round pick and likely as Fish alluded to when LeBron's done. And I've got no confidence in Anthony Davis carrying a team. Now you've got to think that they'll be able to add new, you know, good players around him because, you know, people do like to migrate to LA and Anthony Davis isn't a bad player, but he needs the right supporting cast. Let's say he doesn't get it. I mean, the fact that we can now gamble on them having an off year, say AD misses 30, 40 games to an injury they're in the lottery. I mean, that's incredible. And this is on top of everything else we're getting with the other picks. So when you look at it from a pick standpoint, from an asset standpoint, it's a home run. As far as the players, 
I'm left wanting more. And I think that is honestly why we're hearing that, you know, Griffin is really shopping hard that fourth pick. And that's why before this deal was even made, we had heard how that was kind of the hangup, right? Uh, but since this has been done, Woj has tweeted out that uh, Griff is indeed looking to move it. And even though I know some of us like Culliver or whoever else in this upcoming draft, I think that's a good sign that Griffin really is going to chase hard to turn that asset into a good, viable young player, something that he wanted to get in this draft because we didn't get it, guys. He, he listed an all-star player, and before listing, make, coming out with this latest list that included an all-star player, back in February when he was with NBA TV, he had talked about having a potential young player that could, could and would likely turn into an all-star. I don't think we got one here. No matter how good I think Lonzo Ball may become, I still think shortcomings are going to hold him back often, right? And I have, I'm sorry, I have no confidence in Ingram. Hart, Josh Hart is a very good role player, and I'm going to let Fish talk all about him because he's been one of his favorites ever since he entered the league. Uh, but Ingram, I mean, I know he's a scorer. He's a good – he's a volume scorer, right? But And he's got the physical traits you want to see, a very long limb type of guy. And when he puts his mind to it, as Griffin had once mentioned, is that he could be, you know, a pretty good – really good player in this league. But, again, he has not proven it since he's been in here. And, you know – when you've got Zion, when you've got Drew, I kind of want that small forward that's staying in between those two guys to really be able to shoot the three ball and play consistently good defense. I mean, honestly, kind of like in the mold of Kevin Durant. I'm not saying Kevin Durant because he's one of a kind, but, you know, kind of in that mold, somebody that's going to fit better. So, like I said, as far as the players, I can take it or leave it, but those picks, man, they have made this deal. And when you've got to think, I don't know how much leverage Griffin had, but the fact that the Boston Celtics, Mark Stein reported that Jason Tatum wasn't on the table. um, That's huge because let's face it. They almost like kind of bit against themselves here. Uh, We, we saw what, what was it a week ago or something close to that, where we started hearing Shea Gilgis Alexander was on table by the Clippers. The Nets made that trade with Atlanta, removing two first round picks from the equation. So we kind of got the sense that something was set in motion that we thought maybe behind the scenes people had heard where AD was likely to end up. So I know that Toronto just won the championship. They took a chance. Masai took a chance, took a chance at Kawhi Leonard and it paid off. We've seen the injuries to, you know, Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant and thereby golden state is not going to be near the team that we've seen for the last five years. So it is indeed a league wide open, but again, AD's just got one year and we've heard it ever since that initial trade request, Anthony Davis wants to end up in LA. So when you factor everything in, people were probably a little scared, and I'm talking about front offices, of making this giant bet on Anthony Davis. So to be able to walk away with what Griffin did today, I think I would give him an A. I know what Kevin says is true to a very big extent. You've got to see how this all plays out. I mean, Lonzo and Ingram could flop. They could be injured, or Griff maybe flips them. Um, so these players aren't really going to play any part into uh, New Orleans' supposedly bright future. But those picks... And you've got to think what Griffin had before him for him to push and make this deal tonight. You know, we're five days away from the draft. Uh, we thought that he could have taken in the free agency if he wasn't here in the offers. And that's what any good general manager would do, right? You're going to want to keep uh, playing the competition against one another because you don't like what you're hearing. But this Lakers deal, I think did exceed his expectations. So I'm happy that it's over. And overall, I'm happy. I still want to see how it all plays out, but overall, I think Griffin did a solid job. 
I just want to address what you said a little bit about like not getting the all-star. You got to remember, remember Woj said like that stuff is fluid uh, depending on, you know, like he wanted an all-star player, a young player and two picks, but it was fluid in terms of the quality of player might require more picks or not. So I think that's, you know, I think he still got what he wanted. And I think another real big reason, another real positive about this is the timing because now you have the fourth pick and you have five days to figure out what to do with it. You know, you have time to shop it around, decide maybe you can trade back and bring in a, you know, a younger experience piece plus still have a pick in the top 10 or, you know, try to flip it for a more established player or whatever. So I think the timing of that is very important. Yeah. I think, you know, when we look at this deal, um, it's, you know, like Kevin said, it's way too early to judge the final outcome. But it typically in deals like this, when you see mega deals, the players who are initially moved um, to the team that gave up the bigger star, they're they're generally undervalued because you tend to look at who the bigger star is. Let's look at the Pau. Let's go back to the Pau Gasol to the Lakers trade. Everybody thought the Lakers fleeced um, Memphis because they gave him Paul Gasol's fat little brother. And Marcus all ends up being a cornerstone of their franchise, defensive player of the year, multiple all-star. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's really hard to project a lot of these guys' futures because they are so young. Lonzo Ball um, is, what, 21 years old. Brandon Ingram's 22 years old. So, I mean, these are very young players. And you're talking about with Ingram, the thing I like about him is, you know, again, you'd like to see him shoot better from the outside. He hasn't even averaged one made three-pointer a game over his three-year career yet. Um, but inside the, the, the three-point line, he's shooting better than, I think last season he shot almost 54% inside the arc. So you know that he's able to get to the rim and able to finish. Um, and then for Andy, Andy Bailey at Bleacher Report wrote this about Lonzo Ball, and I thought this was really interesting. Over the course of his career, Ball has 26.8, has a 26.8 assist percentage, a 10.0 rebounding percentage, a 2.3 steal percentage, and a 1.6 block percentage. No one in NBA history played at least 2,000 minutes and hit all four of those marks. If you drop block percentage from the equation, the entire list reads Ball, Magic Johnson, Jason Kidd, and Russell Westbrook. Now, I'm not saying that Lonzo Ball is going to be one of those three guys, but if he can touch the vicinity of that, then that's a huge win uh, for the Pelicans there. And then that flexibility again with the fourth pick to move around this year where it is more valuable to, to someone else than I think it is to the Pelicans this season um, in hand, uh, I think is an absolute, uh, yeah, the, the, the amount of stuff that he was able to get. And like Ali said, that the Lakers, forcing the Lakers to essentially bid against themselves shows just how des- desperate the Lakers were to get AD and just how patient Griffin was in getting the deal that he wanted. Um, one of the big parts about this also is Josh Hart. Uh, I think he's an upgrade over Ian Clark. <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> way to go out on the limb there, buddy. <laughs> I mean, at his age, you know, and financially very flexible, $1.9 million this year, team option for the next. Uh, the contract situations, uh, Fish, when you look at this, Ingram going into the last year of his deal. Uh, and the Pelicans having to make a decision. Lonzo still having another year plus a team option for him. Hart in a similar situation. The contracts of these young players, how favorable are they to the Pelicans? And then Josh Hart individually, what do you like that he brings to the table? 
Um, Ingram is definitely the thorniest contract that you need to get around Mm -hmm. because he's going to be a restricted free agent next year. Um, If, if you had to, if, if I had to bet, I would say Ingram of those three is the least likely to be on the roster this time next year. Now I know that, um, I know that David Griffin is a big Ingram fan, but I think, I mean, we're all far more Lonzo Ball fans than Brandon Ingram fans. I mean, Lonzo Ball has a lot of high-level skills. And and we at no point, even when we were potting about this, did we disagree. He's an, a superb defender, and he's he's a huge point guard. Like, he's a legitimate six-foot-six point guard. The Pelicans, if they roll out a starting backcourt of Lonzo Ball and Drew Holiday, will probably have the biggest backcourt in the entire NBA. And that is, is somebody had tweeted out, like, they tweeted out a picture of Holiday and Ball and then a screenshot of the Angola prison um, description from Wikipedia. Like, that's going to be that backcourt. It's going to be like that. And you have Ball this year and next year to try to build that confidence, get that shot back, because he came into the league with an ugly but serviceable shot, and then something happened when he was in Los Angeles, and it broke. And it's not completely broken, but at the free throw line, it's broken. So you have time with Lonzo Ball that you don't have with Brandon Ingram. And Josh Hart is in the same situation. They came out of the same draft. So you, Josh Hart, you have this year, next year, and then you have restricted rights going into mm-hmm. the following year. So you have some options. And the, both of those guys going into their restricted years are the same year that Drew Holiday is going into his potential player option where you might have to make a call of, is it time to flip Drew Holiday someplace else, um, you know, where he can thrive and finish out his career because maybe the Pelicans' timeline for winning doesn't necessarily line up with Drew's um, um, timeline for winning. But going back to my guy, Josh Hart, Josh Hart played – I mean, he's shorter. He's six foot five, but he played a lot of small forward and even power forward for the Lakers, because even at his small stature, he's thick, he's strong, and he rebounds far above what you would expect for his height. <clears throat> so he's he's another high high basketball IQ guy. His three point shot was came down a bit this year from his from his rookie season, but <clears throat> I mean, if you average the two out so far, he's and I'm waiting on my computer to load those numbers here really quick. 36. 37. 36. Yeah. 36, 37% from, from behind the arc so far. And we're talking about a Pelicans team. The biggest issue that the Pelicans had with how they tried to build with Anthony Davis was they were always scrapping the, scraping the bottom of the barrel to get depth because they didn't have – you know, a first-round draft pick that maybe he hadn't panned out and been as good as you liked, but he's a rotation player. He certainly belongs in the NBA. He's on your roster. No, they're scraping the bottom of the barrel. Hey, can we get some guy from Europe, Darius Miller, who's been out of the league for a couple of years, to be, you know, a, a third half of our wing rotation? 
now the Pelicans have a lot of a lot of those options. They got three actual NBA players in this, plus whatever is going to happen with the fourth pick. So both Josh Hart and Lonzo Ball to me are the keepers in the deal in terms of the players because you have high IQ, high effort players. Mm-hmm. You hope that they can continue for, to progress with their outside shot, but in terms of what you're going to do short term, and this is less, how is it going to translate into the playoffs and stuff like that? Because the playoffs we all know is a completely different beast, but with how parity feels like it's coming to the NBA right now. So if the Pelicans can just try really hard and defend really well, I mean, despite Anthony Davis, not giving a damn for half a season, sitting down through holiday, the Pelicans still had an offense that was on the fringes of a top 10 offense. Like Gentry can find ways to put points on the board. And now finally, Darren Ehrman might look out at the roster and say, I have enough defensive options here that we can do something because you're going to roll out a roster at some point or a lineup that's going to be, I mean, you can, you can legitimately say, we're going to roll out ball, holiday, heart, Ingram and Zion. I mean, you could roll those five out for a small period of time and say, we're going to switch everything and we're not giving up any. Please decide that you want to post up our 285 pound horse of a big man because he's a little short. So, I mean, it gives them options. I'm not thrilled about the players in general. I, I, I'm, I'm concerned about Lonzo's ability to translate to be actually the keystone of this of this trade, but you can try to talk yourself into it. And to me, when I look at all the rest of the picks that are coming along with it, I'm like, Jason Tatum wasn't on the table and they got all of that. That's insane. Like somehow, like does Griffin have pictures of Palinka like doing something like is there blackmail material that we don't know about yet? He has pictures of him running the Lakers organization. Right. (laughs) You know, what's one of the interesting things about all this is you see the reaction from NBA players and front and, you know, insiders, everybody's saying they can't believe how much the Pelicans got for this fans. Pelicans should have gotten more. So it's so interesting to see that dichotomy of how people are reacting to this initially. But I mean, you see David West, Kendrick Perkins, other, I mean, and, you know, all the ESPN, wherever the personalities are, all saying, how did they get the, the picks to go this way? How do they do this? And the fans are saying, we didn't get enough. But what would have been enough? What would have made this deal better if Jason, if you know Jason Tatum is off the table? if you know that the Nets are probably going to sign Kyrie Irving and that D'Angelo Russell was not going to be available in a normal trade circumstance, if you know that other teams had backed out at, at basically at this, the Knicks couldn't put together a package that was ever going to be attractive to David Griffin, the Clippers basically had decided they weren't in the, in, in the sweepstakes, that they're focused on Kawhi Leonard. What possible better deal was out there if there was one? Yeah, I mean, the, I think the only thing is the you know the only way you could talk yourself into a better deal is if you had that known commodity young player like Tatum, which uh, apparently wasn't there, or SGA who apparently was off the table, or maybe 
you know, maybe Jamal Murray and some sort of other thing like that. But that was it. You know, um, obviously the Lakers players are better than anything you were going to get from the Knicks. The picks also are better than what you're going to get from the, from the Knicks. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a satisfactory trade for sure, or it's an incredible trade, you know, at its peak. Ollie, one of the things that people have complained about is that Solomon Hill was not moved as part of this deal. I didn't think that that was a big problem. I don't think any of us thought that that was a big problem. I think Hill's value goes up once the season begins as you near the trade deadline because he is an expiring deal. What are your thoughts on Solomon Hill um, not being included in this deal? Was that was that any consideration in your mind? Not for this Lakers deal. And especially if Griff is shopping really hard for that fourth pick, suddenly a, like a, a contract like Solomon Hill's suddenly makes it viable if you, you need to match salaries at all. Um, so you can export his little $12 million attached to fourth pick and if another asset is necessary or something like that. But we know, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to say 90% that Griffin is not done dealing over the next, you know, what, month. Like first weekend of the, the free agency, let's call it then, that he's going to make another deal, another significant move, at least one. And that's when I think Solomon Hill's contract is actually going to be of greater value to him. Um, you know, I was kind of thinking about all the players that we now have, and we're very top-heavy in terms of we've got, you know, what is it, eight eight guys or something like that in position at the positions one through three, point guard, shooting guard, and small forward. And so you've got some good assets that you want to first, uh, see out. You've got some guys that are kind of redundant. I'm very curious to see how Frank Jackson and Josh Hart are going to work out. But then you have guys like Solomon Hill that you can just use as ballast in any kind of deal that you need to make. And if the Pelicans are truly chasing another star, and then he could be very, you know, very useful in making a deal like that. So I'm not mad at all that he didn't get traded in this um, during this sequence of events with the Lakers right now. But I have a feeling that he is definitely on Griffin's uh, short list on on sending somebody out because if Griffin he seems like he's committed to kind of providing not a winner now I don't want to give anybody the notion that he's going to go win now on us but he wants to put a competitive team a young competitive team out there so that's going to require you know all sorts of assets and that includes picks to salaries and so the Pelicans suddenly have both so like I said I foresee Solomon Hill not long for this roster and let's say he even maybe makes it out to the trade deadline I still don't think he's going to finish the, sh- the year out simply because that, that $12 million expiring can be used in a lot of different ways, and I expect it will be. Yeah, I would say yeah. like Griff- Griffin's not necessarily trying to put a playoff team together. He's trying to put an asses-in-the-seat team together for this year, You know, a team that's just you know fun and has players that people know or, or can be excited about when put together, but not necessarily fighting for the playoffs. If it breaks right, it, it could, but the expectation is not there yet. I think it's just, you know, I want us to have this fun team that has a culture coming in that you can identify with what the direction is going forward and have hope for the future. No, I agree, Kevin. Yeah, I Kevin, I agree. Step- yeah, go ahead, Fish. Oh, I was going to say I agree, Kevin, but you're drafting Zion Williamson in five days. You already have a, a ready-made asses and seats team. We're talking about salaries and caps and stuff like that. I'm looking at the Pelicans' hypothetical cap sheet right now, figuring Zion Williamson and the fourth pick on the cap, which I don't, we don't expect that that's actually going to take place. 
Mm-hmm. But if that were to take place, the Pelicans are looking at they have almost twenty million dollars in cap space. Mm-hmm. Now, this season maybe it won't be so valuable, but they have so many guys under contract next year if they keep those along that next year somebody might and i don't have the free agent list but we have all this cap space in the league right now and what happens the year that a bunch of cap space is available in the league players get overpaid there will be terrible contracts handed out this summer because there is more cap space available than there is good players to take it and we have seen time and time again especially with the nba the way it's looking right now with Kevin Durant probably out for the season. Clay Thompson probably out for the season. The Warriors aren't like lording over the league at this point. Teams are going to take a shot. They're going to say maybe Tobias Harris at $32 million is the thing that's going to push us over the edge. Or, you know, whoever, I mean, who's going to be the Solomon Hill this year that some team is going to throw some ridiculous contract out. So my thing is, is that if the Pelicans aren't, flipping some of these things for a guy and it's funny Sam Vicenzi of um, the athletic wrote one of the things the Pelicans could trade the four for the fourth pick for would be to Chicago for Laurie Markkanen who was by precise target when we first talked about possible three three team trades the first time we discussed the Chicago Bulls maybe as you know a third team facilitator but, I mean, unless the Pelicans, you know, move, say, the fourth pick and Lonzo Ball to Chicago for Mark Hannon with the expectation that we know that D'Angelo Russell's on the way because the Nets are going to let him out as an unrestricted free agent. <clears throat> if you don't have that kind of thing, why don't you just carry that cap space over and say, you know, next summer some team is not going to have cap space and they're going to want it, and you can charge them for it. We'll take your guy and we'll, you know, we'll eat up some cap space for our 2020-2021 season and we'll take another future first for your troubles. And I think, oh, I'm sorry, Dave, if I could just interrupt. Yeah, because you're talking about the 2020 free agent class and it is a terrible free agent class. (laughs) You know, it's, these are the guys who will be available in 2020. Kyle Lowry, who will be well past his prime. NBA champion. No, <laughs> but well past his prime. Paul Millsap, another guy on the downside of his career. Um, Al Horford, again, uh, you know, o- over 30 plus. Hassan Whiteside, Harrison Barnes, Chandler Parsons, Mark Gasol, Serge Ibaka, Danilo Gallinari, our old friend Ryan Anderson, uh, Jabari Parker, Jeff Teague, George Hill, you can stop. Derek Favors. You can I mean, stop. It, there's nothing. <laughs> How dare you call Ryan Anderson my friend? <laughs> <laughs> so there's just nothing. There's nothing out there in 2020. So the Pelicans are in absolutely no rush to spend the money. And they can develop, yeah. as, as uh, Griffin has said, develop these players, assess these young players that they've brought in, in an environment where they're not in a rush to build a winner. And I think also with some of these Lakers guys, I mean, you look at Hart this year, I think a lot of the reason his three-point percentage fell off, the Lakers were a terrible three-point shooting team as a whole Mm -hmm. because there was not a lot of movement in that offense. 
What are you talking about? The locker room cratered, man. Let, let's mention that. Who wants and to that, play? Yeah, that too. The, the whole yeah. environment w- went to crap. But, I mean, offensively, they were a disaster from game one in trying to figure out how, what they were going to do on offense. They didn't know what they were going to do. They didn't put shooters on the floor. And, and Hart was still playing 20 minutes a night. But on a night-to-night basis, what was his role? He didn't know. So, I mean, you look at that, you look at, you know, Lonzo only played 50-something games. Ingram only played uh, 60 games. So, I mean, it's it, it's really hard to look at that dysfunctional environment that those guys played in for the last two, three years and make full assessments of them. Griffin gets a chance with fresh eyes to look at them in a place where they're he's wants them all to succeed, not as potential assets maybe, but as guys that he's thinking about keeping. And he will do everything he can to make them feel that way. You could see some some good improvement out of those guys. But I think the lack of pressure from having Zion, you get an immediate honeymoon from that. And then knowing that if you that you have these other guys that we're evaluating and that you have this plan going forward, I just think that it, the Pelicans are in a very good position position to be prudent and rather than make the mistakes that they made in the past and just start throwing money at people to try to be something too fast. No, and, and let me jump in on this. I don't. I think they, that's exactly right. I think free agency is going to be a totally different ball game. But I think that is why we're now hearing, though, he's very determined to kind of flip this fourth pick and whatever else it takes into a really good asset, because we've got supposedly the point guard of the future. That fourth pick, by all intents and purposes, is going to be a guard, likely a point guard. So, you know, Garland, whether it's Garland, Kobe White, or um, Culliver there's going to be teams that really want that because they don't have a point guard. So I'm looking at the Suns, the Bulls, the Magic, and then you look at their rosters, right? And they have young potential all-stars on their rosters. So I think that's probably the way Griffin's leaning. So while you guys are absolutely right, Kevin Grubb, to talk about you know taking your time, I also think that Griffin also wants to put, not a winner now, like I said before, but he wants to kind of get this core together now. It's well known in the NBA that you get these guys together and it takes them two, three, four years. So he, he, he's happy that, oh, he's heck, heck, really happy. He's got Drew, he's got um, Zion, and he's like, he got, you've got to include Ball, maybe Ingram in that group as well. But he, he knows he can add more to that now. And I, I really think he's going to do that. So that's why I, I think, I don't want to deter, defer or deter this conversation from, going too far into what the next moves are, but I think we should talk about that because that's really what's at stake now. No, free I think it's not. Yeah. Free agency is not going to be an option for the next couple of years. I agree with you guys, but I still think now he's going to jump now at something. So go ahead, Kevin. I was just going to say, you know, I think it was in the initial, yeah, it was initially when we were talking about the Lakers trade, I had thrown out there making a move with Phoenix where you would send, um, ball over there to get uh bridges and number uh six i think they have but i know you guys have said that uh they that they love ball in the front office uh gentry loves ball ball seems to be the guy that they think is the key from this hall and they want to build around him and i'm cool with that but perhaps you could still do something where you got bridges where you would trade for for six or seven what do they have seven or six i can't remember i think they have six Four, four for six uh, and Bridges and maybe give them a couple of seconds, uh, you know, to even sweeten that. That way they could jump up and get uh, Garland or, or Culver, whichever guy they want to put next to Booker. And then, you know, basically 
I know we all really like Culver, um, but I think the widely across the league, people think uh, the value of four through seven or eight in this draft is about even, you know. So if you got uh, Mikhail Bridges, who I'm very high on, I don't know how you guys feel about him, who could be the long-term answer at small forward or at least another guy to play there. Um, and then um, you still could ha- get either like Kobe White or DeAndre Hunter or whoever else you like with that other pick or even flip that for something else down the line. You know, I think those are the kind of moves that make sense here. I'll say what yeah. I'm interested in, in pursuing one of these young players is what Fish has already said, marketing. I think you you for some match next to Zion, because we're already loaded like one through three, like I said, or with Orlando, Jonathan Isaac, or maybe Bamba. So that's what I'm kind of hoping to see transpire if, if I could flip pick, that fourth pick. If it's if it's not for a proven yeah. star. I mean, if I could pick three guys to put next to Lonzo that I think maybe are, you know, that fit perfectly, Lori's number one, Miles Turner's number two, Aaron Gordon's number three. Yeah. But I don't think there's a, a deal that's going to – I don't think Chicago deals Lori for anything. I mean, no, I, I don't like why would they? I mean, definitely not the fourth pick in this draft. Like, no way, you know. Well, he's um, the only shooter they have on their roster right now. Well, they have. Well, no, Porter can shoot, but yeah, I know yeah. what you mean. So you know, I mean, I think the front line that they put yeah. together is really good. I mean, they have Porter, uh, Wendell Carter Jr., and uh, Markinen. Like, why would you want to break that up? And definitely not for the fourth pick, Miles Turner. You could possibly get him for four, but I think you need more than that. Um, you know, whether you could trade Ingram for another piece that, or maybe they like Ingram. Ingram and four to get Miles Turner, great. I would do that in a heartbeat. I would also do Aaron Gordon uh, for a similar sort of thing. But, you know, obviously they Orlando would probably covet ball because they really need point guard help um, unless they think they're getting that with the with the fourth pick. Maybe they wouldn't. One ball, but I don't see them wanting Ingram with you know having Isaac over there. So um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I think the only guy. I don't think any of those guys are real. The only guy that might be accessible of those three, with the fourth being the face of it, is is Miles Turner. And I still think you need yeah. sweet. And I love that you're mentioning this, Kevin. I want to toss it to either David, but you guys have heard this past week, right? That D'Angelo Russell is being coveted by the Pacers. They want to bring in another point guard, like a, a real good point guard. So what if we were, if, if it's not ball, then <laughs> offer that fourth pick. You think they would give up Sabonis or Turner in some package for that fourth pick? I think they need more. I think, like, I mean, I think if it's Ingram and four, they might be, might be interested, but I don't know how much they yeah. like, him, you know, I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell and Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. I think Sabonis would be more likely for them to move than Turner. I think they are higher on Turner than they are on Sabonis because I think they feel his upside. Oh yeah, because he's extended his game. He's you know he's a rim protector. All he's more you know can run. You can have him in the pick and roll and all those things. I think that you could you could pro- a little bit easier to pry Sabonis out of their hand. Fish, what about you? What would you want to see done here? I mean, I already wrote it. I mean, Mark Cannon would be my play. Um, 
if it if it takes you the four and and Ingram because then hypothetically the Bulls feel like they're getting you know a shooter. I mean, not a shooter. They're getting their point guard. They're they're getting their choice of point guard there at four. Yeah. If they if White's their guy or Garland's their guy, which at whatever point guard is their guy that they want, they they jump up from seven to four. And honestly, it doesn't feel like to me that Griffin wants another first round pick in this draft at all. Like not just in a he's not he's not trying to trade back to see what he can get for the four. He's trying to not have another rookie other than Zion on this team. So plus our second would, round pick. Yeah. So I would certainly I would certainly if if the if the Bulls would do it, I would send them four and Ingram because Ingram has, you know, the most accelerated timeline. I don't know if Ingram is necessarily a terribly great fit for them when they already have Levine and Porter on the wing mm-hmm. in terms of how they're going to get that to fit. Mm-hmm. But um, if they're that enamored with Garland, I, I would send them four and him and four and Ingram to, to get Mark Cannon because Mark Cannon is such a smooth, silky fit with, with Zion. It would be so wonderful to have that. And, and Mark Cannon is also on a rookie deal that lines up with, with Lonzo's timing as well. And that kind of starts to look like it might be your big three in terms of Zion, Mark Cannon, and Lonzo. And you, you have this – one of the questions we keep on like circling around, and I know it's asked many times on our Twitter feed, how, does, how do the Pelicans fit all this non-shooting together to, to make it work? And I think what we've seen – and what Gentry and Finch kind of cobbled together, um, not this past season, but the season before that, when the team still didn't have a whole lot of shooting, was we can create space and lanes and shots at the basket if just everybody moves. And well, when, I mean, you assemble, when you assemble a lineup with a bunch of guys who can pass and a bunch of guys who can – who are high IQ guys who can make those smart cuts and things like that, you can create offense in a different way than just we're going to run a high well, yeah. roll. And, and Fish, Fish, remember what Gentry preaches. He preaches a quick first shot, right? Move the ball as fast as you can up the court and find that first good look. So I think that fits into that, right? Yeah, I, I would think so, definitely. But circling back to, um, you know, what I would be looking for, my primary target, if I'm moving the four, is I want either a, a young-ish big man that I can fit with Zion mm-hmm. or a point guard. Yeah, I'm attaching the four with Lonzo to get the point guard of the future. And the only real point guard of the future I could see that the Pelicans could reasonably obtain would be D'Angelo Russell. But, I mean, you wouldn't necessarily do that until later, unless you have, you know, through back channels, the information that not only Brooklyn's going to let him walk, but D'Angelo Russell would be most intrigued to sign here. I think with the Pelicans getting as young as they got in this trade, maybe New Orleans isn't necessarily as attractive as it would have been with the Celtics trade that apparently, you know, Tatum might not have ever been on the table. So, but that's what I would be looking for. So you're looking at big men, Mark Cannon, 
Turner or Sabonis. Sabonis isn't much of a shooter, but he's a superb passer of the ball. He's a great screener. He's a great rebounder. He has shot blocking weaknesses, but Zion's athleticism and anticipation and just basketball IQ can kind of remedy that a little bit from the weak side. And then, I mean, we've already discussed him kind of on the edges, but if Aaron Gordon's available out of Orlando, if they really, if they really, you know, want the four pick or the fourth pick and Ingram or something like that, because they kind of have a log jam at power forward and not enough actual wings. They have a whole bunch of people who should be playing power forward that actually have to play small forward. That might be something that they would create. And if you, if you pair up, um, if you pair up Gordon with Zion, that's, that's insane in terms of athleticism and defense. I think also you talking about Sabonis. Uh, one thing, his job will be easier on defense because of what you have on the outside with Lonzo, Drew, and Zion. You know, he's and, and even you know somebody that's at least full sized like Ingram. I know he's thin, but he's at least got height. Whereas before, you know, our centers were having to cover up for Etwan Moore. So just by building a much better perimeter defense, then you don't have to have that great inside defensive presence also you know so i think sabonis would be serviceable i like him but i think turner is the perfect fit whereas i still have questions about sabonis one of the things that you just mentioned was about shooting and people are always like you said always concerned about shooting i think the the a big thing for folks to remember is that it's not how many shot how many threes you make or whatever it's really about how efficient you are when you make them. Are you taking the right threes? Are you converting at the right time? You look at the playoff teams from this year. San Antonio in the playoffs took 23s a game. Um, the Nuggets, under 28 threes per game in the playoffs. The Sixers, 28 threes per game. So, I mean, you're talking about teams that are at the high levels. I mean, the Nuggets won as many games as – what they had the number one seed in the, um, in the West, right? So – uh, one uh, more as many games as they bought. Sixers in the top four seed, Pacers, um, top four seed. They shot 33s a game. You know, you can win at a high level by not shooting a lot of threes. It's about taking advantage when you get those opportunities. I mean, so, so I think people, as long as the Pelicans have shooting, not necessarily a ton of shooters, um, they can still be very effective because, like I say, you create those opportunities in transition if you have better defense like they were playing at the second half of that playoff run, they weren't a really great offensive team when they were steaming to the, to the playoffs. They were a middle-of-the-road offensive team, but a top-five defensive team, and that was the difference. So I think if the defense improves this year and gets them back into the top half of the league um, and you get a consistency in the offense, um, knowing what people's roles are, the Pelicans can improve that way without having to have three shooters on the floor at all times and people being worried about them being unable to generate offense, especially if you have guys who can create for themselves, like we've, we've heard that Zion um, is a better creator than even we've seen in college. We know Drew can create for himself. We certainly know Lonzo can take people off the dribble. So if you get, And we know Ingram can take people off the dribble. So you have more guys who can create for themselves than you've probably had on the Pelicans roster in a number of years. Um, so I think that is a, a big difference in how this offense will run uh, and it's in line with what Al- Alvin Gentry wants to have in those guys who are interchangeable on the perimeter. That's just my thought there. Um, 
Can I ask you guys? Let me ask you guys one question. Uh, what do you think this? And then after Kevin, after this, I want to get jump to a few reader questions too. Yeah, sure, definitely. definitely. What do you think this means to the future of Alfred Payton? You think he'll be back on this team if he if he's offering a hometown discount? I mean, we've seen what happens when you only have one true point guard. You know, we definitely need a backup. Is Alfred that guy? I think it helps his case. You know, I mean, like you said, he wants to be here. Um, his contract will be reasonable. You'd like to have a veteran behind Lonzo because, again, you're, you're worried about his health, so you'd like to have a veteran. You have a guy who already knows your offensive system, uh, and in a limited role, he can be effective. So I think he certainly would be under consideration, especially when you consider what's going to be out there on the market. Fish, what do you think about that? I'm sorry, I didn't – you were cutting in and out there. Yeah, oh, I was just asking, uh, what do you think about Alfred Payton's future now that Lonzo Ball has basically been anointed as the, you know, the point guard of the future? Do you think he'll be back in a reserve role, or do you think they look for somebody who's more of a shooter to come off of the bench, something like that? It's, it really depends on who's available and wants to come to New Orleans. I mean, th- there there is value in having guys on your team who want to be here. Mm-hmm. And Alfred Payton, I mean, Alfred Payton was coming out of college supposed to be a superb defender. He was one of the best defenders in college when he was coming out. It hasn't necessarily gone that way for him in the NBA, but you can actually see a lot of similarity between Alfred's game and Lonzo's game in terms of being bigger guards, kind of struggling with their shot, good at getting to the rim not necessarily as good as you'd like at finishing at the rim. So if you have two point guards with similar skill sets that one can push each other in practice all the time, and two, your offense really doesn't change when one goes out and the other comes in, and both of them have had health issues, you know, throughout the past couple seasons, one of the – I mean – the Pelicans have to have learned that you have to prepare for injuries. It's not, I mean, it is bad luck in that, you know, finger injuries and stuff like that. You can't prevent those re-injuries maybe, but I, I stuck my hand out in the, you know, I either broke something or dislocated something and it takes a while to get back. I mean, that's, that's just freak accident, but it's a basketball thing that happens. It's happened to, Anybody that's played basketball long enough, you've had some kind of nasty finger injury. So why not have depth, NBA quality depth? I mean, I don't think anybody would say Alfred Payton, you know, doesn't belong in the league. We can definitely argue the fact, does Alfred Payton deserve to be a starting point guard in the NBA? Mm -hmm. But if you tell me we're starting Lonzo Ball and we're bringing Alfred off the bench and we're going to ride – you know, whichever guy maybe has the hot hand or really is rolling that night and try to do that in a way that continues to build Lonzo's confidence and knowing that he's your guy, why not have depth? Please have depth. I'm begging you from my soul, have depth on this team and expect that there will be injuries because it's the NBA, guys get injured. So be prepared for that instead of just hoping that the luck breaks your way. Have as many actual NBA players on your roster as possible. That's my take on it. To move on, like Ali said, to some of the um, questions that we got from listeners and um, a lot of them, and I'm going to read this first one. 
Um, it's from at NOP48DH. Um, and he asked, would Detroit part ways with Blake or Drummond for the fourth pick? Um, before I let you guys answer that, I think that there, there are a number of questions about people targeting specific high-priced players. Um, let, let me get your answer on this one, and then we'll get further into that uh, line of questioning. Kevin, we'll start with you. Okay. Um, I feel like I'm being interrogated because it's NOPD is this handle, right? But, um, <laughs> so I'm nervous now. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I can see definitely Detroit doing that because they're in such a salary cap hell that I'm sure they would love to unload some of those guys and try to get some, some breathing room and sort of reboot because Blake had a great season. He's really developed into a really well-rounded player. Um, but they're not really going to win anything with what they have. And they're sort of just stuck in salary cap hell and not really being able to add anything to it. They're like at the point where the draft picks they're getting are just mediocre, so they're not adding star talent through the draft, and then they can't get anything in free agency, possibly one, because of destination, two, because of all the money that they have tied up. So I understand them wanting to unload them. Now, I don't think either of those guys are a good fit necessarily in New Orleans. Drummond would be a better Thanks. fit, <laughs> I think, because of, you know, he's an incredible rebounder and a protector. If you want to go all in on defense, Great. I could see the merit of that. But Griffin at this point in his career with his age and his injury history and those things, it just doesn't link up with the timeline of what you're putting out there with Zion. Now, it would be exciting to watch. Um, You'd probably compete for a playoff spot in the first season if if everybody stays healthy. Um, But it sort of stunts what you can do um, with the future. So I, I definitely wouldn't make that move. Okay, just to address Drummond, I think Griffin would be out of pocket. And again, he's a redundancy, I think. You know, you don't you don't put Blake Griffin and Zion Williamson and, and it just seems like you're defeating the purpose of having both. But like you said, with Drummond, he's under contract for one more year in for 2019-2020 at $27 million. And then he has a player option for 2020-21 at $28.7 million. He also has an 8% trade kicker. That becomes a little bit more enticing. If you made a, if you only have him for one year, if he doesn't like it, you may, he may be gone, whatever. But if he does, at, 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 for what he provides at his age, he could be interesting. If you, what if you could unload? Not you get the four, and you can unload some of your bad salary, like Hill, or even give up Etwan more in the deal. Because you you're now stockpiling six foot four and six foot five guards, so if you got rid of those and you had Drummond with his player option, does that make him any more attractive, Ollie? No, I don't want anything to do with Drummond. I'll be honest with you. I want Griffin to to keep hitting home runs like he has been. He's got all these wealth of options, right? So going either Griffin or Drummond, even at its best, most alluring possible looking through the prism and seeing the best, most illustrious future you can see on them fitting on this squad. I don't see it. I don't see how Drummond, you're going to give up um, either any kind of assets to bring them on. First of all, then use that salary to take up cap space. And then suddenly you're, you're, then I look at the, what the product is going to be out there on the court. You've got Zahn next to Drummond. You've got Lonzo, you've got Drew. And unless Ingram gets, doesn't get traded, then Ingram, right? 
it sounds like a disaster. It sounds like a, such an anti-Alvin um, Gentry team. So, no, I, I think Griffin has the luxury of basically looking, picking, and choosing his targets, right? We're, we're no longer in we've got to do anything possible to gain any kind of assets, let alone put him around any kind of superstar and hope it plugs one of the thousands of leaks. That, 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 that line of thinking has gone out the window. So, no, these guys, we, we shouldn't spend another second talking about them. They don't make any no. kind of sense, I feel like, at all for the roster, either one of them. I'll just yeah. give you the information. If I'll it was Garrett Allen we were talking about, you know, like a similar skill set. If it was right. Garrett, Garrett Allen, sure. Um, but no. Right, because we, we definitely like, you know, again, we know that they need, sh- they need shot blocking, rim protection. But yes. at that cost, yeah, $27 million is, is a lot, like I said, while you're building a team. If, you were, if that was the piece, if that was the final thing you needed and you were a contender already, maybe you think about it. But when you're yeah, and another thing team, we got to keep in mind too is is culture, right? That's what Griffin yeah. has preached ever since he took the job two months ago. Fit culture, all this stuff, and we we all know what Drummond supposedly has done up in Detroit, taking you know games off, practices off, being pretty lackadaisical to where I've even heard Blake Griffin has complained about it. So Drummond doesn't make any sense whatsoever when you look at it from really any vantage point. All right, we'll go to Fish on this one. This is from at Hannon Connor, and it's what's the likelihood of a trade down with Phoenix so Phoenix can draft Garland and the Pelicans can draft Reddish or Culver at six? We kind of addressed this, but not these particular players. Uh, Fish, what's your take on that question? Yeah, and Fish, actually, what, what I saw a bunch of other questions, they, they everybody wants to know where do you think the number four pick is likely to end up? So if, it, if it's not Phoenix, give us give us word, just a guess, because we're all guessing here, where do you think it may right. end up? Um, I mean, I think we've already covered them. I mean, you'd go Phoenix is a definite possible destination if they are zeroed in on Garland and want to make sure that they're going to get him. And if I'm trading back from four to six, um, you know, some of Kevin's idea, you know, is Bridges on the table in that trade back or can you get a first round? Of, I mean, that's what um, Atlanta did when they traded back to get Trey Young so that Dallas could trade up. They got a second first-round pick the next year. That's one of the times, like, the Pelicans don't have two first-round picks next year, and not necessarily as we're going to use both picks, but if you have enough future picks, you can trade those for young veterans later, and you still have a rookie every year rolling back onto your team on that four-year contract, and if he just develops into a rotational player in three years – if you have enough superstars on the team, you're great with that. So, um, trade back move to, up Phoenix. to get the guy you want. Yeah. So Phoenix, um, yeah, we'll trade back to Phoenix. We'll take your six and, um, you know, they're going to draft Garland or white or whoever it is that they want. And then at six, either Culver, if he's on the board, or honestly, the other guy that I would be very high on in terms of how's he going to fit with the guys that are on this team right now, DeAndre Hunter is much more attractive to me post-Lakers trade than he was before. Hey, you can just plug him in. He's going to be a 3 and D guy on on the wing. There's, There's not a whole lot of a thought it's not hard he's ready made he's got a lower ceiling but he's got a he's got it feels like to everybody he's got a much higher floor so he's just plug and playable 
The same thing if the Pelicans trade back from four to seven with the Bulls. Um, obviously, you, you initially you try to chase either Mark Cannon or I'd be interested in Wendell Carter and if he's available, but I know that Grubb is much lower on, on Carter um, and kind of his attitude and the stuff that goes around him when we discuss the Bulls. But trade back to seven, still the same target. Um, I'm not – I mean, Cam Reddish, in a way, is just a swing for the fences. Fish. That, that, that NBA body. Yeah. What's no, I was going to say, in, instead of thinking just maybe point guards, what else do you think could be gettable if you include the number four pick and maybe something else off the Pelicans roster? Just throw out any other hypothetical besides for, you know, a team needing a point guard. Um, could you throw the four? I mean, it's going to be the same – the same uh, usual suspects that we've discussed before. Can you throw the four to Denver for Michael Porter Jr.? Is he available? Um, can you? I don't I think mean, Porter's available because the way that they've been talking about him lately is that they are very excited about what he's been doing um, in workouts, that they, they feel like he's going to boost them this season that he's going to, that he's, he's going to carry them to that next level. They're excited about what they're going to get out of him. So I don't think he's available. What about Malik Beasley? That's like what if I was wondering. Or do we like, not chase Denver, the guard? Like, if, they, yeah, I mean, but, Denver, yeah, we know that their financial situation is that they're kind of pressed up against it. So they may give up some players to get another young player to take off some of that salary. Especially if they could get DeAndre Hunter, maybe because you know, their Millsap's getting older and they need some more depth behind him. Having a guy like Hunter who could play the four in some spots and still be a shooter on the wing. I mean, Den- Denver. I mean, one of the things that I would ask is if you tell Denver we're going to send you the four and we'll eat the rest of that Plumley con- contract to give you some of that breathing space. Can we get Monte Morris? in that transaction as well. We'll eat that Plumlee trade, give us Monte Morris as well, and then we don't have to ask ourselves, is Alfred Payton our backup point guard? Monte Morris is our, you know, he could he could definitely challenge Lonzo Ball for the starting position at that point. And you you have a point guard that takes, you know, lock tight control of the of the ball and he can shoot, you know, lights out. He's been a forty percent shooter behind the arc. Um this this past season in heavier minutes. So Denver would be one. We've already discussed Indiana, Chicago, Phoenix, Orlando. I mean, outside of that, I mean, there there's always the kind of the Beal thing that kind of hangs over Pelicans Twitter. Is Beal available? Can you trade the four and maybe – I mean, yes. it doesn't take just the four. Um, I, I think it would take more than just the four to get Beal. But would they do the four – and Brandon Ingram and all the cap relief that it's going to get. My my concern on that is that whoever's you know their I think the assistant GM that they had before they fired you know their their previous GM and president does he have the authority to make that trade between now and the draft? And there would definitely be a question of if he actually has that authority. So outside of those, there isn't really. I'm not, I'm not, I can't see a, a target outside of the ones that we've already discussed mm-hmm. to be kind of that third term, 
third team facilitator with the fourth pick, I would definitely explore trading back from four to six or seven with the Bulls or the Suns, and can you get something else out of that additionally to what you've already got for the Anthony Davis Hall, and then just pretty much the Anthony Davis Hall continues to grow. All right, well, one guy we have not talked about um, is the future of Julius Randle. So we, we're all confident that he's going to decline his option and become a free agent. Uh, Rob, at the sports men, M-I-N-N, uh, asked, any chance Randall is resigned after declining his options? Uh, are all players kept and just the picks get shopped? So I think on the Randall piece, let's go um, to Ollie. Randall, you, we have very strong opinions about Julius Randall. Um, I will first say before I give it to you is, now with the free agent market, what it is, especially with guys coming out of the market because of injury and whatnot, it seems that Randall's price is going up, not down. Do you think he comes back? When I first heard we got the first pick in the lottery, I thought first second thought that came to my, to my mind after getting all excited was I think Julius Randall's time is done in New Orleans. But interestingly, let me just bring up this point. We talked Preston and I talked to Nancy Lieberman earlier this week. And uh, she made a point to bring up Julius Randle to us to mention the fact that he did have a career year, that he basically still, you know, towed the line to when everything fell apart. Anthony Davis's trade request, all the injuries. When Randle was out there, he still gave his blood, sweat and soul to the team. And I kind of do remember that. Um, outside of Drew Holiday, Julius was really that second rock there for a while. And you notice it in locker rooms and postgame. And stuff, and yeah, he's got his shortcomings, and we've listed it. Pelicans Twitter has talked about it ad nauseum. I mean, defensively, he's a liability. His awareness levels are not what you want him to be. He's overly aggressive, won't read a situation correctly, and you know his shooting is suspect. It comes and goes, both from the free throw line and from the perimeter. So and he's I got his shortcomings. Yeah, New okay. Well, <laughs> but we, but but one thing Nancy wanted to point out was not only that he had a career year. Not only did he really give his heart and soul to the team, but she made a good point that, you know, she believes that Zion needs somebody to learn from and to show the ropes. And my first thought when I heard that was, well, you want to maybe pick somebody that's a better all-around game, somebody you want Zion to follow in the footsteps. But then I was thinking more and more, she was right in terms that, you know, the NBA is a man's league and Zion's going to be asked to kind of fill that similar role. And, you know, Randall, for all his shortcomings, he has learned and seen a lot, so he would be helpful in that mold. Um, and then I had said this previous on some podcast that all of us talked about was that Randall's three-point shooting, since I want to say since December first, uh, was around thirty-six percent, just over thirty-six percent, and that you know put, placed him higher than, during that same period than say Kevin Durant, and there was a few, few other notable names. So there was some signs of maybe he could develop a three point shot, but at the end of the day, you know, all these bright spots, Nancy talking highly. And we had heard the coaching staff, you know, remember when will from the athletic talked about how they had talked about, they loved what Julius brought and they would like to see him come back next year. Um, despite all this, it's still hard to envision it. Cause at the end of the day, you know, he's going to be asking for 18 or 20 million and he isn't the best of fits. On, on a team that is, despite the fact that Laker fans are saying, hey, we can rebuild a second L.A. team here, right? You put Randall back with Ingram and Ball but and Hart, but I, I just don't foresee it. I, I think that 
Griff's got an idea of what he wants and the filling holes. And I just don't think Julius fits it to a, to a T. And especially at that price. I think that price is going to knock him out of the ballpark to where the Pelicans just aren't going to bid for him and use up all that cap space. Like Fish said, we could be looking at, I, th- I think, what is it, around 18, 19 million. You don't want to use it all up on him when you've and got other holes on the roster. he's going to five years at that, too. He's yeah, going to want a four- or five-year deal and at $20 million for a guy that, again, his floor could be really high, but his ceiling, I think we're at it. I don't think Julius Randle has much more to get to his game. Because he doesn't well, he have could if he could become more aware, right? With him, it, I, I never you, thought it was effort, right? Can you learn effort, awareness? Right? right. Can you learn awareness? I don't know. You know, some I've, some I've heard that players are, can. I mean, can Julius, So That's the question. I mean, I would just say, I would I mean, my hopes are, if, if Lonzo is staying on the team, my hopes is that the four is either turned into a, a permanent partner for Zion as a big man companion or you know a guy on the another guy on the wing like Bridges but like when it comes to talking about Randall would you just rather have like a one-year rental on like a guy like J. Michael Green or Damari Carroll you know a guy that could space the floor and that works really hard on defense and that provides some veteran leadership now Randall is friends with all the guys that we just brought in so maybe that's something that is beneficial they but, get along great from what I've heard, yes. Right. But in terms of okay. what I'd rather, in terms of development for Zion, I'd rather have a J. Michael Green or Damari Carroll in the locker room. Or would you rather even bring back um, Nico Miritich at $10 million than sign uh, Randall for 15 Because at least with Nico, you get, you get that spacing, you get mm-hmm. shooting, uh, and, and you know him, and you could get him on a shorter-term deal. Because of his age, so you could pay him oh, less shorter term. Go ahead, Grub. I'm going to jump in on that. Absolutely. That's I mean, there, yeah. first, there's there is no there is no way you are convincing me that man we should bring Randall back. There's just no, there's, it's not happening. I watched that guy play basketball. I I have seen people hunt their stats, and he might be the most egregious offender I have ever seen on an NBA team when everybody else is clearly just trying to, you know, do the right thing for the team. And he's just out there like, I'm getting my numbers, man. And that's it. So, and I mean, Nico is a consummate professional. Everybody in the front, in the front office loved him. How hilarious is it to say, hey, we traded away Nico for four first round draft picks. And then he came back six months later for a discounted amount because he kind of, you know. Four first-round picks. Top. I would love that, but no, it was <laughs> second-round second picks. Sorry, second. I just had to clear I'm that up. <laughs> Flip of the tongue there. But you got four second-round <laughs> picks for him, and then he turns around and he comes right back, and, you know, he would be a great guy where you can say, I mean, he pretty much defended fives when he was playing alongside mm-hmm. Anthony Davis a lot of the time because Anthony Davis didn't want to take the, the pounding anyways. And there's – a lot less pounding to be had as a big man at this point. So absolutely, he would be a great person that you could slide right into that starting lineup. If you told me opening night, the Pelicans were going to start Ball, Holiday, Ingram, Zion, um, Miritich, unless a whole lot of extra talent comes into the West with all the rest of the fact that they might actually have like 
six, seven guys on the bench that can play in the NBA mm-hmm. to, you know, get through the injuries that you're going to have. I'm going to look at that team and be like, man, we might, Pelicans might scrape their way to like 40, 41 wins in the first you're year. Talking about in, in Meritage, you're talking about a guy who, when he was starting before he got hurt, was averaging double figure rebounds. He had some games where he was over 15, 16 rebounds. You're not trading anything as far as rim protection because neither one of them is a shot blocker, Randall or Miritich. But you're getting a guy who moves better without the ball, who, uh, again, shoots it better from deep. Uh, and, and I think, like you said, is a consummate professional guy that was loved by fans and, and teammates alike. So, I mean, it just seems like a better investment than giving it into Randall, who's going to expect the ball and then is going to have to deal with. Again, when you talk about building that culture and that chemistry, when you have too many guys who are competing for their numbers and you're trying to develop players at the same time, that's an impossible mission in my mind to to do successfully. Yeah, but here's here's my question is, what do you think Miritich can be had at? Because in his first three weeks last year, I mean, I knew somebody within the Pelicans organization that said, I don't know how we're going to be able to resign this guy. I mean, they were thinking he's going to cost at least $20 Because you remember what Brian Anderson got, right? Yeah, but his value Four years, Yeah, $20 million, so $80 million from Houston. Well, people are thinking, oh, my God, this guy is so much better because he's got a much better all-around game. Obviously, that didn't carry through the season. Injuries, lack of production happened, uh, the efficiency woes. But if you had to put a number on today, how much would you bring back Miritich if you're Griffin, if that option's available and you're interested? $10 million. Ten million. I think it has to be made, higher. I think he can get more. He made seven and a half this year. It doesn't matter. I, I'm just, how much I, money I, is going to be available? How much money is going to be available in free agency? That's why I'm looking at. Well, it. for one year, if, if you're talking one year, I'd go higher. For two years, I give him two for ten. Two, He's going to want security. He's going to want three years. I'm betting minimum. I, I think it's going to be at least. I think it's going to be a three-year, thirty-six million at a minimum, and I don't think he'd even take that. But what do you guys think? Sorry, go ahead. I mean, I mean, you can you can structure it in a way that it's movable on the back end. Like, True. Like I said, I mean, the Pelicans right now are looking at having like twenty-ish million in cap space mm-hmm. with everything that they brought in with the Lakers, you know, not making any moves. So if you tell me, oh, the Pelicans, you know, gave him sixteen million in the first year and then it's declining, you know, max declines for the rest of the years, mm-hmm. and there's like you know, minimum guaranteed on that third year, yeah, I would do that. Because, I mean, there's a lot of cap space that continues to open up next year. That's one of the benefits of keeping Solomon Hill and Etuan Moore on the books. You know you have $20 million coming off the cap next year. Exactly. You're probably, you're probably not dropping, you know, the max deal that you have to do to keep Brandon Ingram unless he really shows out and is completely healthy all next season. So I expect that he's probably going to get moved by the deadline. So yeah, spend some of that money on a consultant. I mean, that's, that's the kind of, can we have a pro in, in the locker room? And especially when you're talking about Miritich, somebody that kind of is going to release the pressure on that offense and all these non-shooters, there's no better way to create space in the NBA when you have you know, too many non-shooters on the floor than to have a big man that has to be guarded away from the rim. So, because, like, let's say you have, you know, Ball and Holiday and Zion, 
those, yeah, they're, they don't have a lot of shooting ability, but especially when you're talking about Zion, because he's an absolute bull and holiday. If, I mean, holiday can take anybody off the dribble. We've seen that. And if you say, Oh, we're going to put a smaller wing on Zion Williamson, he's going to feast on the offensive glass. That's how it's going to work out. So you can't do the Ryan Anderson defense of we're going to put a wing on Miritich and it's not going to cramp the space. I mean, he, he's willing and able to shoot, you know, two, three feet beyond the arc. He stretches it out that way. So I would absolutely do some kind of balloon payment on the front end or a declining contract to get a guy, a, a very specific skill set, like a shooter that's a vet that is going to be a consummate professional that's going to teach these guys how to be NBA players in, in the near term. But it would have to have, you know, those caveats, you know, declining probably minimal guarantees on the third year. But that might be something that would be um, conducive to, to his wants and needs. It depends on what Meritage wants, too. So, but a guy like that that can shoot would be high on the, the last two. The last two things we need to address before we get out. One, um, we still have a hole at center. Um, are there... I think there's some intriguing prospects out there at center this year. A lot of good um, free agents who I think would be fits. In my mind, Dwayne Dedman out of Atlanta would be an excellent fit uh, for this team. Um, Kyle Quinn is out there again, um, a guy that we, we liked last season. Um, he could be an affordable option to play at center. Another guy who can shoot the ball um, and also do something around the rim and, and, and block some shots. Um, of course, Brooke Lopez is out there. And he got a very low deal last season to sign Milwaukee, but he's going to be in due for a big raise um, this season. Who, uh, I mean, even JaVale McGee, who only who got less than $3 million last season, but had a career year, very athletic, block shots. I mean, that filling that center role, how important it is, is it to you? I don't think it'll happen, obviously, in the draft, um, but how important do you think it is on, on Griffin's list of objectives based on what he already has in Jaleel Okafor and Christian Wood? I mean, Anybody I think, want to take it? Yeah, I think ahead, of the guys you mentioned, I mean, Kylo Quinn, I always liked him. Maybe he's a guy that they like. He's a guy who's a pretty good passer. Um, got at least a decent mid range shot and he has stretched it out a little bit to the three point line. Defends a little bit. I like him as a cheap option. Obviously, we all I think all of us love Ed Davis. Uh, but in terms of like the other guys you talk about that's out there, I don't think any of them for what you're going to pay them are better than the combination of Christian Wood and Jaleel Okafor right now. I mean, especially Christian Wood can stretch the floor for you a little bit, and that might help. Um, so I don't necessarily think that he feels the need to really grab somebody right now. I don't think you're going to see him really go all in, but if somebody is available, like if he could get Miles Turner or these other guys that we talked about, then yes, he will go do that. But I don't think he's like, I need to find a center right now, this off season. Um, You know, this draft is probably not going to provide it. Possibly the next couple of drafts will or free agency or via trade, later on um but i still don't think that's like something that he's gonna be all out trying to cash out unless it's like one of those guys that are the perfect fit like Markinen or or turner or maybe even some bonus 
Yeah, right, the last quick, thing. To, to, no, let me just real quick. I just want to win. One guy that I think Griffin needs to target is, is a defensive line of center. And I would love to see a steal Kevin Looney for a really cheap contract. Because I think the Golden State Warriors are for sure going to resign Clay Thompson. And I've got to, just my guts tell me they may even end up getting Durant. I just have a feeling that all their injuries and the end of the season isn't going to sit well with them. That it's, it bond, you know, it's going to bring them closer. And I think the Warriors may be interested in paying what would it be like i read 375 million dollar tax or something like that if they were to bring both of those guys back on max deals if they were there's no way they would go further into the repeater tax and bring back looney so i would honestly pursue him or somebody at least like that i think you've got to have a defensive minded center on this roster and i'm sorry i don't see it in julio okafor definitely not christian wood check diallo doesn't fit that bill and that's even if they decide to bring him even back. So I know that we've been talking Miritich. I know what Kevin just said, but I think that they need to add a loony type somehow, some way, whether it's him or somewhere else. All right. The last one, we got a lot of LeVar Ball questions. Um, a lot of people talking <laughs> about him coming in. My first take, and I'll let you guys roll with it afterwards so we can get out. My first take is, A, LeVar is not as big a problem as people think he is. I think it's an overblown thing. And B, um, did anybody meet Anthony Davis Sr.? Those are my two. That, that's all I'm going to say. Uh, <laughs> Why don't you cover that, Grub? Talk a little bit about Mr. Anthony Davis Sr., buddy, because you've given me some stories. <laughs> yeah, over the time that uh, Anthony Davis Sr. has been around the last seven years, he's been ejected from the stadium on multiple occasions from the Smoothie King Center for um, getting into confrontations with Bell Dimps. Uh, he went after Monty Williams after a game. Uh, he has been known to, uh, let's just say, forcefully um, put himself into his son's business. And that was certainly a part of the case. We saw him interject himself in, uh, in trying to stop Anthony going to Boston. We've seen where there are stories that he is um, more than just a client. His son is more than just a client with Clutch that – um, Anthony Davis Sr. also has an interest in clutch uh, sports as well. So I think LeVar is a lot of bluster. He takes, he's, not, um, he's not a fool, but he takes on the role of villain so that his boys can get what he wants them to get. Um, but I don't see him as a problem. You didn't really hear a lot about him this season. He didn't talk too much. He talks now, and he, and he put out some great stuff today, some fire. But I just don't think LeVar is a problem. Uh, Fish, what do you think about LeVar and his potential distraction to this team um he's not gonna have the airtime that he did in los angeles (laughs) that's what i think i mean one of the good things about all of the lakers that are coming is that they are coming to a tiny media market that has one newspaper in the whole freaking area to cover the team and a whole bunch of bloggers like ourselves covering the team they're not going to be inundated with this, the stuff that they had to deal with when they were with the Lakers. And I get that, you know, fans of some other team, the Lakers, will say, oh, your, your team's so crap because you don't get all the attention. You know what? Lack of attention actually might be a good thing. Lack of attention, um, you know, might be what some of those guys need to develop. And so, I mean – Zion's going to get drafted in five days and he's going to suck all of the oxygen out of the room. It's going to be Zion, Zion, Zion. 
now that the Anthony Davis trade is over and done with, it's all about Zion on Thursday. Lonzo's, you know, going to be not a role player, but he's going to be a secondary, a tertiary star behind Zion and the face of the franchise, Drew Holiday. Whereas when Lonzo was drafted to the Lakers, the Lakers were a flaming disaster. I mean, when he got drafted, that was the same summer that they flipped um, D'Angelo Russell and Mozgov's terrible contract just to get out from under it. Um, and he was he came in and he was supposed to be the savior. The Pelicans, New Orleans isn't expecting Lonzo to come in and be the savior. And so I, I just I think the Lavar aspect of it at this point is far overblown because I mean. First take isn't going to really be like, man, we need to get Lonzo on to tell us about what's going on in New Orleans because we've seen how they cover New Orleans unless unless New Orleans is pounding down the tables of like contending for championships, you won't see national media markets give a crap about anything that happens in New Orleans outside of Zion Williams' highlights. So until they get to like contending for championships, everybody's going to be able to just compete be an NBA basketball player and do all of that in relative anonymity. So I, I think the LeVar aspect here in New Orleans is vastly overblown. I'm very glad that what we've heard so far is him pretty much just, you know, taking it to the Lakers and saying, I, I haven't heard him say anything negative about coming to New Orleans at this point. And maybe that's, you know, something where through back channels, Alvin Gentry's talked to him and said, your guy is my guy. Your son is going to be, you know, my next prodigy. I'm looking at him and that he can be my next, you know, Steve Nash. That's what I want him to be. He's going to have the ball in his hands all the time. He's going to have a great defensive point guard beside him. He's going to have an absolute athletic freak, you know, who is the face of the franchise and Zion Williamson catching all his alley-oops, getting him on Sports Center. So... <clears throat> I think they see that, and I think the LeVar thing is vastly overblown. New Orleans isn't Los Angeles. In this situation, that's actually a good thing. Yeah, and I want to Kevin. stress this point. Where can Lonzo Ball have ended up better in a better situation than New Orleans? Look, LeVar wants nothing but the best for his boy and to see him shine. Fish just mentioned it, and Ramona Shelbourne, uh, Bill Simmons, others. Guess who's going to be throwing those lob passes to Zion Williamson? Guess who now can, you know, hit Drew Holiday like Rajon Rondo used to do? Um, and, and now he's going to have other options as well to throw to on a team that was has long been devoid of, you know, star, outspoken type of leadership. You know, the opportunity is so much there for Lonzo, I feel like. And, I, and, if, and if, let's face it, if there's any kind of success, if, if there's any kind of, um, you know, meaningful... I mean, you don't want to say development on Lonzo's part, but you would want to see that. But I don't know, think it's even necessary because, look, Alvin Gentry, that's something that can be overlooked. LeVar hated Luke Walton in L.A. He thought he was too constricting, didn't like some of the, the sets. And obviously, with a team that's got LeBron James, you're not going to like it. What does Alvin Gentry do? One thing that we know Alvin Gentry does, he gives more freedom to his players than almost any other coach in this league. And I think that's going to be perfect for a guy like Lonzo. So, in addition to everything that Fish said, I, this opportunity, it can't be overlooked. 
for Lonzo. He's going to have the guys around him. He's got a coach that's willing to believe in him from day one. Um, I think LeVar, once he sees how the city, the players, and the success that follows takes to Lonzo, I don't think he's going to be a problem at all, guys. I really don't. Kevin, you get the last word. Sure. Um, I think I have a, a kind of different perspective on LeVar Ball than a lot of people. I think me and Grub agree a little, a lot on this, but I think we come from different wavelengths on it. Um, I grew up very heavily involved in the 90s punk rock scene in New Orleans. I used to book bands. All my friends were in bands. This was sort of, it wasn't pre-internet per se, but the internet wasn't what it was back then. Um, I just got my start by like handwriting letters off the back of records of bands that I like and being like, hey, if you want to come play in New Orleans, I got you covered. And I started booking a lot of bands that ended up becoming very big bands. And um, and like my my partner in season tickets, Travis, his band was on uh, Fueled by Ramen back in the 90s, which was owned by this band, Less Than Jake, that's very popular. Uh, but they ended up selling that label and like that band Paramore and 21 Pilots who are bands that play the Smoothie King Center are on that label now, you know, and my partner in season tickets was on that label. Um, and I think like that whole community was built by challenging the way that the music industry was, was set at that time. And um, a band like Fugazi, which I think a lot of people are familiar with, is one of the bigger bands out of the punk rock scene really moved that forward, uh, creating like what's known as the do it yourself movement. Um, where you don't, they own their own record label. They put out all their own records. They only charge $5 for concerts. They booked all their own concerts, handled all their merchandise in-house, uh, didn't sell t-shirts and stuff like that. Um, and I and I like the things that LeVar Ball does because it ties to that sense, that, that nostalgia and that sort of belief system that I grew up in. It's challenging what the status quo is and trying to do something new and unique you know, I don't think he aligned himself with a very good business partner. I think he makes some bad decisions, says some things that I don't agree with a lot of the time. But the notion of trying to create your own shoe for for your son um, and keeping all that money in house and let's face it, uh, shoe companies are terrible companies. They exploit labor around the world. If and I'm I'm sure the the um, the Lonzo shoe was made in the same sort of situation, but let's say it wasn't. You know, like. You know, the idea of like trying to do something new and and making it your own and not being a slave to this other entity that's already there and just having all the money come in through you and do and operating in a way that you feel comfortable that you control is something that's very interesting. And I think also what he tried to do with creating, uh, you know, more of a minor league basketball league um, while it didn't work out and it it failed because of you know, various reasons in the, his shoe company. I mean, I know they still have it going on, but it kind of didn't take off like they wanted because I think they betted too much on Lonzo being more of a star than he really was yet. Um, I think it could possibly work later on down the line with somebody bigger, say like if Kawhi did it or like Giannis decided he was going to make his own shoe company. Um, you know, I think that's something that could work, but you, they just didn't have the right face there. But I think the idea of creating that minor league I think one thing it did, it had sort of like an Anthony Davis trade request effect on, on the NBA and made them invest in the G League and started to make that more of, you know, turn a lot more attention to that and put more money into it and try to make that more of a viable league for players coming out of high school to go into instead of college. 
And I think a lot of us think that the college system is a scam. I don't want to speak for anyone else on this pod. Y'all can chime in on it's that. It's a scam. I think it's, it's a scam. A, I think it's a terrible situation. I think that players should get paid. And I think that these top level players should either go to Europe or go to the G League and get paid. And the guys that are going to college for four years should be in the NCA for four years. And I think you have two great products. You have the people who like college basketball. You have teams that are built that are there for four years. Um, you know, you build identity and culture in those teams and people will still love that. But then these top recruits aren't risking their futures by going there. Come back They're to the center, paid. Kevin. Come back to the center. You start okay. to gravitate too far. Thank you very much. But so the idea <laughs> of what he did, I, I really appreciate. And I, I think he gets a bad rap just because he wasn't necessarily prepared to do it the right way. But I, I appreciate what he was trying to do. And, I, and also, obviously, he's always been looking out for his sons. And sometimes fathers overstep their boundaries when looking out for their sons. But he was coming from the right place. And I, I think he took a lot of the heat also for his son. He made himself the face in that year, as we said, with those high-level expectations being heaped on him because of what Los Angeles is and what he was inheriting. He took a lot of the, the you know, shots to the rib that, that Lonzo didn't have to take. And while I'll never agree with everything he did, I don't think he's the clown that people make him out to be. And I, I kind of appreciate what he's done. Well, like you said, we're there five days until the draft. So there will be more nonstop speculation going in as to what deals get made. The only certainty we pretty much have is that Zion Williamson will be the number one pick of the draft and will be coming to New Orleans. I'm I'm excited. I'm more excited today than I was. Like I said, there's a tremendous amount of relief that this first part of this is done. I look forward to what's going on next. I think that's all of our feelings. Um, and there will be tons more questions to answer as we go through this summer. I think this is going to be an, an exciting summer from start to finish as we go through this through summer league, through free agency acquisitions, all of that. I'm really excited to see what this team looks like uh, by the time training camp rolls around. Um, guys, we've, we, we've gone on a good bit, uh, but I'm sure the fans <laughs> could, ha- could have had us go on a lot longer. But um, for a Saturday night, uh, thank you all for joining us. Thank you for those listeners out there. Remember, visit thebirdrights.com. We're going to be having information day in and day out. And when you listen to this, rate us, share us with a friend, um, tweet it out, whatever you got to do, uh, and so we can keep this content coming to you. On behalf of the guys, my name is David Grubb. And until the next time, let's go Pels. Thank you for listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under podcast networks. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. can't believe it that gerald is presenting the quarterly budget report with finger puppets look here comes a 1.7 percent decrease in fixed overhead hello everybody no i can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with geico who are you the projected increase in organic q3 revenue hooray
Believe it. Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Geico presents, yikes, another voicemail from your roommate. Sup, roomie? Hey, a pipe burst in the basement. It's completely flooded. Anyway, I called for someone to fix it, but in the meantime, I was thinking we could finally have that indoor pool party we've always wanted. I got some cool swan floaty things already going. Could you pick up some chips on your way home? Later. The GEICO Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected. Like if your roommate isn't the brightest pool float in the flooded basement. Visit GEICO.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance.